Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Well, how are we doing today? We good? We good? You sounded good. I know Pastor Aaron made a joke about not, you're not looking good. I think you look great. I don't know what his deal is, but it's a big day today. I hope, how many, any, you may not have a team, so if you don't have a team, you got to pick a team. How many of you think the Rams are going to win in the Super Bowl tonight? Give me a woohoo. All right. How many of you think the Bengals are going to win tonight? Give me a woohoo. How many of you are just watching for the commercials? How many of you don't care about any of it? You're just there for the chips and dip. Like you're just, the wings. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Well, hey, listen, I hope your team wins or I hope the queso's good. That's what I'm saying to you today. Uh, It's a big day. We're glad you're here. Let me also just say, just as a public service announcement for about half the room, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Just whatever you want to do with that information. Uh, Guys, if you have not already gotten a gift or a card, let me just go ahead and say to you, you probably want to do that today, okay? Because if you do that tomorrow, you're going to see several folks you go to church with on the card aisle, and you're really going to be left to choose between like ones in Spanish or I'm sorry your dog died. And you're going to have to adapt that to really make that feel heartfelt. So you want to go ahead and just pick up some today. There'll be more of options there today, but tomorrow's Valentine's. I am glad my Valentine is speaking with me today. It's always a treat for me. She's my Valentine, my best friend since we were 13 years old, which was just a few years ago. I mean, just three or four. Uh, She was very, very young, very, very young. And uh, my bride for over 18 years now, and also the mother of our four children. I'm going to work on this while I'm sitting here because I feel like I'm low. But uh, the mother of our four children, and uh, just I'm so thankful that you're here. I, it takes a lot to get you to agree to do this. You always do an amazing yes. job, but you don't love public speaking. No. But I'm so thankful that you <laughs> agreed to do this today. And I'm going uh, to add a little Thank extra. Not, there's going to be a jewel in your crown in heaven, but maybe a little extra something in your Valentine tomorrow oh, just thanks, for that. Babe. Maybe. Thanks. I don't know. It depends on what's left at the store. I'm really just like got a diamonds and no, I'll go through the list of like, yes, I'm Corey. I am Jeremy's wife and we love this church. Yeah. Um, a little bit about our family. I think they have a picture of our beautiful family. I think they're beautiful, but I'm partial. That's Cooper. He's the one on the drums. He's 17 years old. Branson, he's the guy over here. He was on the bass earlier. And uh, he turned 15 this week and has been driving us around. So y'all just give us terrifying. like a 20-minute head start after church. It that would be great. terrifying. <laughs> That'd be great. I had him drive the Suburban this week, and he is a very good driver. But there were a couple of times I thought, oh, my gosh, we're going to knock over the mailboxes, all of them, and have to apologize and pay for I love, let me just say this. I love, I'll sit in the front when Branson's driving. Corey will sit in the back, and she really contains herself. She's like, oh. You need to slow down. You need to slow you slow down. Like it just, it's incrementally, like it just gets there in a hurry. It's really fun. It's really fun. And then we've got Tucker. Look at those blue eyes. He's actually running some cameras in the back. And then that poor little lady with all those brothers. That's Kinley. She's 10. And our family loves this place. And I'm glad to be here with you this week. Yeah, we, we want to talk today as we continue this series, Fight For. We want to talk about family. And, uh, and when we talk about fighting for our family, we are not talking about fighting with our family. Yeah. We recognize that may be a kind of a normal part of just the general flow of life in your household, depending on the stage of life that you're in. But we want to talk today in this series of Fight For It on fighting for family, it's something that we value here as a church, that at Generations Church, we fight for families. You'll see it on the wall and on t-shirts, and I've already referenced some things throughout the day today, that they're not just things we put on the walls, like we believe them, and we want to equip all of us today to really learn how to better fight for our families. In Nehemiah chapter 4, 
verse 14, it says this. It says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Like there is a, there is a command in, in the book of Nehemiah as they're building a wall, as they're building their life, as they're going after the purpose of God, that as a part of that journey, they should also make sure that they're fighting for family. And Nehemiah understood they're not going to fight for a wall, but they will fight for their brothers and their sons and their, their wives, and they want to fight for their household. And so I know that everybody comes from a little different context of family today. Uh, I, I wouldn't assume on you that I understand every dynamic in your household or in your family and all that you've experienced. But I was recently reading Forbes magazine reported that between 70 and 80% of people self-identified that their family is dysfunctional. 70 to 80% say, my family is dysfunctional. They also assumed that 20 to 30% self-identified as liars, right? So um, an assist to Pastor Carson right? on that joke. But uh, no, no, there's no qualifiers. There's no like characteristics that would say that your family is dysfunctional. They just self-identified and say, hey, our family's dysfunctional. They're just saying like, we've got some, we're jacked up. Like there's some issues in our family and maybe you can relate to that. But every family looks a little differently. Uh, currently, 54% of families are single-parent families. Uh, just 38% are living with two parents. And of those, only 22% are living with two parents who are both in their first marriage. 9% of families, 9% of children are living with remarried parents. And 7% of children are residing with parents who are cohabitating or living together without being married. So that's a lot of numbers. But the bottom line is this. Every family is unique. But God has a design in mind for families. And we believe if we go to his word, we're going to learn some things yeah. about how we should fight for our family. So we're going to jump in today. We're going to talk about five quick things. You can jot these down maybe in the margin of your Bible, make them in a note in your phone, or just write these down because I think that all of them will be applicable no matter where you find yourself in life or in the journey of your individual family. So we're going to talk about fighting for family. But the first of the five recognizes that we're probably going to fight a little bit with our family and so how do we do that well? We fight fair. We got to fight. If you are fighting with your family, whether they live in your house or they've moved out of your house or they're just crazy Uncle Joe or the brother-in-law or sister-in-law you avoid at Christmas or Thanksgiving, you got to learn how to fight fair. And what do we mean when we say fight fair? What we're talking about is dealing with the problem but not attacking the person. So if there's an issue, and there's going to be issues, we're all imperfect, we all have flaws, we all have things that we bring to the table that aren't perfect, and so we've got to deal with the problems that we need to talk about instead of just attacking the person. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 says this, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, I love that verse, or those verses. The reason that I love them is because it gives the opportunity for us to get angry. You ever been angry? Okay, so the rest of us are liars. That's great. So there's a lot of us. We're identifying with that a lot today. No, no, if you've ever been angry, then you're human, but what this says is like you can be, but there's a healthy way to do it. So if you get upset with someone, how do you manage that? How do you process that? Well, you make sure that you are dealing with the problems, working towards a solution, not just lingering in your anger and not giving the devil a place to kind of step into this relationship and tear you down or divide you or, or bring some kind of issue between you that lingers beyond what, what may be a normal amount of time for what we're dealing with. So we want to deal with the problem and not attack the person. So if you get mad, that's great, but then work through getting over it. Like, just figure out a way to do that. And here's the other thing that I would say as we're talking about not attacking a person. Be careful not to say intentionally hurtful things to the other person in the middle of an argument. Now, that sounds like common sense a little bit, but the idea is that if you say something in an argument 
to score points or to try to get the upper hand or to win the argument or win the battle or whatever it is, eventually, hopefully, that battle, that argument, that fight is going to be over. But those words will be carried by that other person much longer than this conversation. So if you're talking to your son or your daughter about an issue, you are eventually going to get past the fact that they ignored you and didn't clean their room or they didn't make curfew or they didn't you know, do so well in the first semester of college or whatever the argument's about. But if you call them an idiot... Eventually, you're going to get over the cleaning the room, the the curfew, and the semester of college, but they're going to remember that their dad or mom thinks they're an idiot. That's going to sting. That's going to hang in. There's like you're arguing or, you know, with your spouse in some form. If you can attack the problem, that's one thing. But if you start attacking the person and just bringing up all their dirty laundry, like everything they've ever done wrong, and you're, you're good for nothing, and you never, and you always, and you start doing that. Once the argument's over, we can be done with the argument, but they're going to carry with them the hurt and the pain of the words that you spoke because you are a person that holds great value in their eyes, and, and, and you, they hold great value in your eyes. And whatever they said, it's going to become the label that you wear in the middle of that relationship. So be careful with the words that you say. Here's the second thing we want to talk about today. We want to talk about fighting for your family's faith. Yeah. Once you get beyond the arguments and all the stuff, like we, we know that we're here at church today. We're watching online today. Like this is not just a dinner club. This is not just a, a country club. Like we're, we're here on a spiritual journey. And so we want to recognize that there is something that we all should be in pursuit of, and that's a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so our, our central verse as a church comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 2, and it says this. It says this, the law, faith, a relationship with God. It is for you, your children, and your children's children. We believe that faith is something to personally possess and then to pass on. You're going to hear us say that every week, every few weeks, because it is our heartbeat that faith is generational. So you got to fight for your family's faith. And here's what we all know intuitively. You can't give something to the next generation that you don't first have. I can't give money to my kids if I don't have money. I can't give food to my kids if I don't have food. Well, the same is true. It's very difficult for you to give faith to your children if you don't have faith. It's very difficult for you to give a relationship with God to your kids if you don't first have a relationship with God. Now, I'm not saying you got to get it all perfect before you start giving that away. I'm saying like, Be honest in front of your kids. Model for them that none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. Ask forgiveness. I've had to ask my teenagers, and man, they hold a grudge. I've had to ask my teenagers, for, hey, you know what? Dad messed up today. Dad dad could have done that better. Dad could have said that better, and I'm sorry. And so you got to model for them what it looks like to be in a growing relationship with God. And and just lastly, talking about the role that the church plays in this, we want to complement what you're doing on your own. We want to resource you as parents and grandparents to be able to invest in your children. We don't want to take over the role of, of helping to develop faith and, and the spiritual formation process in your children. Because if you are here every single Sunday, like every single Sunday, we're going to get your kids about 50 hours a year. If you're here all day today, we're going to get your kids for about two hours this week. But you're with them, even if you take out sleep and take out school, like you're with them somewhere between 40 and 166 other hours this week. And so what we want to do is resource you and give you some things that will help you to, to spirit, in the spiritual formation process of your children, your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews. We don't want you to outsource that process. We want you to be pursuing a relationship with God first and then help your children to take that journey together. Yes. Number three is fight for your family's time. Well, that's a hard one, right? Because time is this like limited resource. We only are given so much of it. 
and we have 24 hours in a day. And so what are we going to do with it? Because half of it, or maybe not half, most days, like a quarter of it, you're sleeping, right? And so you, what are you going to do with your time? Well, the Bible says that if you don't work, you don't eat. So a, a large portion, especially if you're an adult or even if you're a student in the room, school and work, they take up a large portion of your time. Right. And so what do we do to fight for time for your family? And really, it's all about intentionality. Yeah. You know, you're going to give your time to what you value, right? So if you're really busy and people have asked you of things, you say, I really can't. I'm so busy. But then your buddy calls and says, hey, you want to go play golf? And you're like, oh, hold well, on. Let me rearrange on, some on. things. That felt personal. No, that no, felt no. personal. <laughs> Hypothetically, <laughs> they ask you to go shopping. Maybe. I don't know. It felt a little personal right there. No, not personal. But I'm saying like we do make time. We do prioritize the things that we say that yeah. we value. Right. And so if we're fighting for time for our family, we have to give so much intentionality to that with being really kind of almost stingy with our time. Yeah. So if we don't do that, then the people around us and our jobs and the world in and of itself is going to steal and take that time That's from right. us. That's right. And so intentionally, I heard this week from a family within our church that they said, we don't care if it's at 10 o'clock, if it's fast food, if it's cheese and bologna sandwiches at 8 p.m., or if we're running out the door for practice and we're eating dinner at 4 o'clock, we're going to eat around the dinner table. Yeah. And I thought, oh, it even challenged me. Like, what intentionality to say we're going to sit around the table together and we're going to look at our kids in their eyes or we're going to talk to our children or our spouse. And so for a few moments, they know that they are the priority, that in the chaos and the hecticness of our lives, they know that they hold the most value in our world, in our life. And the other things are things that we have to do, but they are our priority. And so we're going to fight for time by being very intentional. And so sometimes if you have young kids in your house, sometimes that looks like when your spouse gets home, if you're married and your kids go to bed, you're spending 30 minutes watching a show. Date nights are hard when you have little ones, right? Yeah. But we're going to be intentional with our time to say, hey, we're just going to sit down and watch a show every Friday night together and eat popcorn and have a date night in. If you have teenagers, maybe that looks like picking them up from school and taking them to lunch or eating around the dinner table like we just talked about. Maybe it is even as simple as in the hectic, busy parts of your day, sending a text message to them wherever they are, because I'm sure most of them have cell phones to say, hey, I'm thinking about you today. I know life is busy, but I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of who you are. And I want you to know that even in the chaos of life, I'm thinking about you. You are a priority. And it really is just being very intentional with the time that we've been given to invest in the people that are most important to us in our life. That's good. John Maxwell says this. He says, it's not if your calendar will get filled. Yeah. It's who will fill your calendar. Yeah. Like you and I have to be in control of our time. And I recognize, like she said, you got work and you got school and you got jobs and all, you know, whatever the things are, like you got other commitments, but ultimately you need to put the big rocks on that calendar as fast as you can. And then the margins, the other times are the things that you can give away, but you, you want to prioritize the relationships that are most important yeah. to you. And speaking of that, number four, if we're talking about fighting for family is fighting for your marriage, fighting for your marriage. I recognize not everybody in the room is married. What you need to know right up front, if you don't already know this about us, is that we are pro-marriage. Like, we believe in it. We think it's important because God thought it was important. We believe that God's word speaks about marriage pretty much from beginning 
to end. Marriage is one of the topics that kind of scatters itself throughout all of the scriptures. It's spoken about in Genesis, very, very early in Genesis chapter 2. It's spoken about by Jesus in the Gospels. It's spoken about by Paul later in the epistles of the New Testament. Like marriage in and of itself is spoken about so much throughout scripture that we believe it's important. We also recognize that marriage, if it's a godly marriage, it has the potential to tell the greatest love story ever. And that's the, that's the love story of God and the bride of Christ, us, the people that are followers of Jesus Christ. You can read about that in the book of Ephesians. And so we have this opportunity not just to be married to one another, but actually to express the love of God to a world that doesn't really understand love. And so for all of us, we need to recognize that if we're going to really fight for family, if we are married or we have the opportunity to be married to the right person, then, then we're saying, hey, I am fighting for my marriage. Marriage is hard. Marriage is work. You're talking about two imperfect people learning how to do life together and trying to figure things out. And so First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 8 gives us an incredible verse of Scripture. Maybe you want to just highlight this in your Bible in some form. If you are married or you desire to ever be married, it says this, Above all, love each other deeply. Everybody say deeply. deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. You got to love one another deeply so that you can have the kind of grace that is necessary to really make marriage work in the way that God intended it to work. And so when you start talking about the other person, you start talking about being married to someone, so often it is easy for me to give myself the benefit of the doubt. I know what I was thinking. I know what my motive was. Even if my behavior, my actions didn't match it, I know what I intended to do. I know what I was thinking I was going to do. And so she only has the benefit of my behavior. She only gets to see what I did, what I didn't do. And so I would say, like, give grace to the other person that you hope to receive. Like, be grace-filled towards the other person. Love them so deeply that even if they miss the mark a little bit, like, you're able to engage that and go, hey, here's what, here's what that felt like, or here's what that said. But you don't harbor so much bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart and you, that you can't stay married in a healthy way long-term. And, and there begins to be this, like, division between us. And eventually, after a few months or a few years, like, we're so far apart, we don't even know how to get back together. We got to love one another well. And so when we start talking about that, let me just say, even before you get married, how important it is for you to know the commitment that you are making. Corey and I have the great privilege of, of doing premarital counseling with a number of couples of various stages of life, first marriages and remarriages and all of these kinds of things. And in each one of those instances, what we say to them is that there is a design by God for marriage in the Bible. And if we're trying to figure out how do we honor God in marriage, I would say go to God's word. Before you go to a self-help book, and those are great, and I recommend a bunch of them, before you go to some other resource or before you go talk to your best friend about what your significant other does that you wish they wouldn't do, let's go to God's word and determine who should we be becoming, and then who is it that God has brought to us, and how do we work together? And one of the things that we've seen over the last really 20 years or so that has continued to grow more and more as, as a way that we prepare ourselves for marriage is one of the statistics that we gave, that cohabitating, that living together piece. There's been a ton of recent studies. I don't know if it was the pandemic that really opened our eyes to people that were in the same home that maybe hadn't yet made like a full commitment or a covenant relationship or hadn't said vows to one another. But recent studies by Stanford University and the Wall Street Journal says this. It found that women who lived with someone before they got married were 15% more likely to get divorced than those who didn't live with someone. Another study from the Journal of Marriage and Family found that couples who cohabitated were, were actually more successful in fending off divorce in the first three months. It was like they had already figured out that first three-month part. 
but the numbers dramatically increased after the first three months, and they were more likely to get divorced than every other demographic group that got married. And so I know there is a cultural norm that says, hey, just kick the tires, and let's figure this thing out, and let's see if we can live together. For I'm just saying to you, like, listen, God has a design, and that design is that once you have found the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with, give yourself wholly to them in every facet, physically, mentally, emotionally, and with your address. But you don't get those things out of order, whether it's the physical part, the mental part, the address, any of those. Like, let's line ourselves up according to God's word and then really ask God to bless what we're attempting to do to live out God's plan for our life. It's one of the reasons, and you heard this a little earlier, that we believe so much in couple to couple. Couple to couple starting in just a couple weeks. It starts on March the 6th. It's four Sunday nights in a row, and you're like, whoa, I don't love giving up Sunday nights. Football ends today. There's nothing else you need to be doing, okay? <laughs> Sunday nights, four Sunday nights in a row, six o'clock here at the church. It's 35 bucks. If you can't afford the 35 bucks, we'll pay it for you. Yeah. We believe in it that much. We're going to come together. We're going to sit around round tables with other couples. We're going to eat together. We're going to laugh together. We're going to have fun together. But we're going to be inspired and challenged about our relationships. If you're married, if you're in a committed relationship, you're engaged, you're really thinking about marriage, um, each of those four nights, we're going to look to God's word and we're going to be challenged by some speakers that we're bringing in that are going to challenge us about God's design for these kinds of relationships. And I want you to be here. I want every couple in our church to be a part of Couple to Couple. We'll make it work. We'll figure it out. But you can go register beginning today and come be a part of Couple to Couple. We believe it's that important. And number five is fight for your kids. Fight for your kids, not with your kids, which is really easy to do, especially if you have teenagers. And I have two of them and one that's almost a teenager. And it is really easy not to get caught up in the arguments with your teenagers. But I'm not talking about talking and fighting with them. I'm talking about fighting for them. Yeah. And when Jeremy asked me to kind of speak with him on this subject and said, let's talk about fight for your kids, I thought, what in the world does that even look like to fight for your kids? I'm not talking about being an advocate for your kids. We should do that, right? If someone has done them wrong, if they have a horrible coach who is mistreating them or talking to them, we can go advocate for them, right? Like, hey, let, let's change your behavior. Quit talking to my, we'll advocate, we'll stand in the gap for them. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about fighting for their spiritual being, their heart, their soul, their, their ability to follow after Jesus. Really, we're talking about fighting for their eternity, yeah. their eternity. And the Bible says in Ephesians 6, uh, Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness and of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. It's almost as though you have like good and evil you have like the, the little black devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other that's at war fighting in a way we can't see for the soul, the eternity of our kids. And it is our job as parents to fight for them. So what does that look like? And I asked Jeremy in the car, I was like, what, it, what does it look like to fight for your kids? And we'd been in a season recently with one of our, our, our sons and he was going through a battle. And so I sent him a text one day and said, hey, I want you to know, and it was before all of this, that I'm fighting for you. Yeah. I'm on your side. And so I, I began to pray in the car one day, and I thought, Lord, what does it look like to fight for my kids' eternity? What does it look like to fight for them? And it was very clear to me that we have three 
three ways that we've been given to fight. And it's not in the way that you would think, but number one is actually the Word of God. And I know that may seem simplistic, but Ephesians 6, 17 says, And take on the helmet of salvation, the Word of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Bible calls the Bible, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. It's actually referred to as a weapon. Yeah. And so when we're fighting for our kids, we have to declare God's word over their life. That's right. If your kids are out of your house and you have grandkids, you need to declare God's word over their life. Yeah. And what that looks like is when you have toddlers in your house, it may be that on really frustrating days as they're walking around, you begin to declare God's word over their life. Words from the, from the Bible that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You were created in my womb, and God created you on purpose for a purpose. That you call them by name and say, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. But God's got a call and a purpose for you. You are a child of God. All of those are straight out of the Bible. Yeah. If you have a teenager in the house, you may have had a little disagreement or when you're disciplining, disciplining them and you're talking to them and they have that like blank stare looking back at you like you are an idiot. And you, and you think, well, how do I get through to them? The Bible says that this word, God's word, does not return void. Yeah. That it's sharper than any two-edged sword. That it pierces through the heart and penetrates our very life. And so when I run out of words and my words are returning void, I use God's word. And I say to them things like, for the, things like you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I also will say things to them like, this is a heart issue. The way you're talking to me, the way you're acting, these are heart issues in your life. And it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and of the spirit, of the joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. Yeah. Use God's word and discipline, reminding them that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That we can reveal so much about who we are and what's in our heart by the very words that we say. And so use the Bible to combat the things that your children are facing. Send them text messages. You can do this. You've got this today. I'll send them messages and I'll just say, hey, I'm just sending you a verse today. Because my words of encouragement may become like come back to me. But God's word will speak to them in a way that we cannot. So this is parents, grandparents, your weapon for fighting for your children. The next is prayer. The Bible tells us that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. That's right. That God knows what we have need of before we ever even ask. And if we love our children, how much more our Heavenly Father, right? So he wants to meet them at their place of need. Yeah. 
And so whether you're driving in the car and you're calling them by name and asking God to intervene in their life or give them courage or give them strength or help to to protect them and to keep them, help their eyes stay focused on him, you pray, you call their name out to God. I'll pass by the kids' school sometimes and say, hey, I'm driving by your school today. I'm praying that whatever class you're in, you have wisdom, that it comes easy to you, and that you are a light in the darkness. I'm reminding them that I am calling them by name to God who cares about their needs. That's right. And so prayer is a weapon. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. If you are a parent in the room and you don't ever struggle with anxiousness for your children or fear from your chil- fear for your children, come and talk to me because I want to know how you do it. I say anxious for our kids, right? I want the best for them. But the Bible says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. We've got to pray for our kids. And third unconditional love and that may sound easy because we do love our kids we love our grandkids right if you're a grandparent my mom says that being a grandparent's better than being a parent I don't know how that's even possible because I adore our children but she loves she loves her grandkids unconditional love seems something that would be easy to give right except our kids including us are growing up in a world that is conditional love. Yeah. As long as you meet these needs that I have, I will love you. As long as you provide this service for me, I will love you. Right? It's conditionally based. It's transactional. But we are give a call to give our kids unconditional love. Yeah. Obviously, correct what needs to be corrected. Discipline what needs to be deli- disciplined. But in a way that says to them, I'm doing this out of love for you. My love for you is not conditional. Jesus went to the cross for our sins before we could ever do anything to earn it. That's right. Deserve it. Work for it. Prove ourselves. It was unconditional. I loved Cooper and Branson and Tucker and Kinley before they could ever tell me they loved me back. That's right before they could ever pick up any piece of laundry in my house, or all of the snack wrappers. Do your kids do that? There's like chip bag wrappers. All of, before they could pick up one of them, yeah. I loved them. Yeah. Before they ever got a good grade on a test, I loved them. Before they ever scored a goal, I loved them. Before they ever uh, made it to home plate, I loved them. Before they ever talked back to me in a mean way, I loved them. There is nothing that my kids can do that would cause me not to love them. And what my hope is, is that it has created an atmosphere within our home of safety, not protection. But to say, when you walk through the doors of this home, regardless of the kind of day you've had or the grades that you've made or the things that you've done wrong that I maybe disapprove of, you need to know first that I love you. And all of the other things we can correct. For your grandchildren, offer them the same, that they walk in their house and there is no doubt that regardless of how they behave or what they do, you love them unconditionally. 
that says to them in a world that will try to tell them that they are only loved for what they can produce and what they can do and what they can achieve, that through you and your unconditional love, they are reminded that they have a God that loves them before they could ever do anything to deserve it. So if we're fighting for our kids, we've got to know the word of God. And if you don't know it, if you're not confident in the word of God to be able to speak that, look it up on your phone. Scriptures for teenagers who need encouragement. And just read them. Read them out loud. Send them a text. Copy and paste. It's just about speaking God's word over their life. And then pray for them. It doesn't have to be that you have to wake up at 4 a.m. and go pray. There are oftentimes I do wake up in the middle of the night and go lay hands on my kids while they're sleeping and pray God's protection and health over their life. and They would know God. Sometimes it's as quick as driving in the car. Just say, God, wherever they're at, help them today. Be with them today. And then unconditional love that will remind them of the love of Jesus that he has for their lives. So we know... Again, everybody's coming from a little different place. You got a different context of family. You got a lot of different things that you approach this subject from and with. But what we want you to know is that wherever you find yourself in some family unit, you got to fight for family. And if there's brokenness there and hurt there, forgive as quickly as you can. Try to reconcile that relationship as fast as you possibly can. Wherever there's, there's something that you can control, Take control of that. Just speak God's word and, and pray to the Lord that will help you in the situations that you find yourself in. But you gotta, you gotta pray over your kids if you got kids and grandkids or your future kids. We, we were praying for the spouses of our kids before they were born. Like, Lord, send us people that love their in-laws. You know what I'm talking about? Can I get an amen right there? Some of you don't even get that. You're gonna get that on the way home tonight. It's all right. But we, we wanna make sure that we are prioritizing faith for our family. That we're prioritizing time, intentionally giving time and energy to the people closest to us. That we're, we're fighting for our marriage if you're married. And if you're, if you're a single parent in the room, I recognize that that maybe not, doesn't apply to you in this season. Just know, like, we pray a special prayer of blessing over you. And you got to fight for your kids. Like, you, you got to really go to bat for them. It's different than advocating for your kids. We've already talked about that. you got to fight for their eternity, their soul. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.